Hey y'all, it's Billy and Christy, and you're listening to Thoughts On, a production of the Front Porch Sessions podcast. Thoughts On is exactly what it sounds like. It's our thoughts on a variety of topics that we want to share with you in hopes that it might make your day a little better. And on this episode of Thoughts On, we are going to continue our discussion of trust, I guess trust part two. Yeah. Yeah, I think we maybe should call this like institutional trust. Yeah, trust in the workplace or something. Yeah, trust in the workplace. That's probably pretty good too. We should have thought about that before we started recording uh, today. But those of you that are regular listeners, you know how this works with us. Uh, and uh, we left off on the first part of this trust in the workplace episode. Near the end, I gave a quote that I had heard on a podcast where Stephen M. R. Covey said, It's trust that turns a group of individuals into a team. It's trust that turns a supplier into a partner. Trust turns cooperation into collaboration. You don't leave as many things on the table. Trust is transformational. Absolutely. And that has stuck with me, as well as a thought that I had after we had recorded the last episode. And I am a believer in the idea of need to know. And sometimes <laughs> I don't need to know. Mm. But for that to really work and to be effective, there has to be institutional trust or trust in the workplace, as you said earlier, because if I if a decision is made and I don't have all the details and I don't have trust in the people that made those decisions that may or may not impact me directly, I'm not going to trust that decision. I'm going to question it. I you know, there may be some uh, scuttlebutt around the water sure. cooler sure. about it. But when I have trust in the individuals that made decisions and either I don't need to know all the details or the timing is not appropriate for me to know the details at that point, but that trust means I trust the decision yeah. and it's valid and like supported that there is a good reason for that. Do you have any thoughts on that particular idea? Well, the building of the trust is is difficult, but you've just perfectly illustrated why it's worth the effort. We can't take for granted that trust just should come. No, trust is something that needs to be built. It's something that needs to be cultivated. It needs to be respected, if I can say it that way, in that people know, they continue to know, because trust is really easy to be lost. We we shared the quote from Warren Buffett when I finally found it last time. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. Same thing with trust. If, if we have been struggling with holding on to the trust of those that are working around us, then it's, it's really... It, I don't know. I want to just say it's hard to keep it because it's just quite that simple. We it, got it to hold to on to it. it. Yes, yeah. Yes. And that's where your your words, your actions, your deeds yeah. all line up and people believe that you have the best intentions for Absolutely. what is best for your particular organization. And today we're going to present some ideas of building trust in the workplace. We have six steps to building trust with employees. And this comes from an article by David Grossman. These six things are not original to us. Mm -hmm. Although if we sat down and we have talked a little bit about this, several of these were some things that we discussed 
but this he has some really good ideas. And from this article, one of the things when he's setting it up before he gets into his uh, six steps for building trust with employees, he says both sides of the trust coin impact a leader's ability to inspire and motivate employees. When people trust you, they have confidence in your decisions. Even in uncertainty, they will be influenced by your leadership. Mm. That is because they expect you to do what you say you'll do. Absolutely. And I think that kind of goes back to some of our opening comments. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about trust in regards to integrity, which we have talked about some on Thoughts On, the importance of integrity. And it's really interesting how these two things, they are two very separate things, and yet they go hand in hand. And if we don't have one, we're we're really not going to be granted the other. So if, if we are not a person of integrity, it's likely that those that work around us are not going to trust us. So we need to be mindful of, of that ability to hold on to who we are supposed to be, who we say we are, as far as an integrity piece. And trust goes both ways. Absolutely. We talked about that a little bit more in part one, but the uh, higher ups, management, leaders, bosses, whatever word you want to use there, they need to trust that their employees or those that work under them are going to do what they're supposed to do, whereas the employees need to trust the higher-ups, that yeah. they're going to do what they're supposed to do, what they say they do. So this is kind of a two-way street when we're looking at this idea of trust. It takes some work to build it. Uh, it's much easier to lose it Absolutely. than it is to create it. But Grossman's article here uh, focuses on six ways that leaders can build trust in the workplace. And one of the things I like about this particular article is it says build trust in the workplace by aligning actions with words. 100%. Uh, so it's not just what you say, it's also what you do. Yeah. And even though this, uh, these six steps tend to focus on the leaders, I think there are some of these that with a little bit of... Uh, I want to say massaging, although I wish finesse. I could. Finesse. That's probably the better word for a more <laughs> professional type podcast. A little bit of finessing would apply from the bottom up as Absolutely. well as the top down as we look at this. So number one on this list of ways that leaders can build trust in the workplace by aligning actions with words is recognize that building trust takes hard work. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on that particular idea, that to recognize that building uh, trust takes hard work. Well, it kind of makes me think about something I used to hear kids, and I, I'm actually referring to myself way back when, that whole idea about uh, respect is not given, it's earned. Same thing I think works here, that trust should be earned. We should actually have to work at that. And I do think there's probably a little bit of instinct. You and I have had that talk before. You have really strong instincts that unfortunately are more often than not correct like you can you can notice something about a person or their character and essentially recognize that person's going to have a hard time gaining my trust. You pick up on that. But it takes a lot of work, intentional work, to build that trust. And I, don't, I think it's it would be easy to get discouraged with that if you are the person trying to gain trust. But again, I would say the reward is is obviously worth it. And, and these good things, they got to be worked for. <laughs> it does. And, and trust really has to be earned, yeah. as you said there. Because collectively, we have 50 plus years of work experience between us. Mm -hmm. 
And in that time, and you may have experienced this, and I think you have just from our uh, ever how many years we've actually been together discussions, uh, that we've been employed at certain places where maybe somebody new comes in or we're the new person and the leadership expects you to trust them Mm -hmm. uh, emphatically, I guess would be a good (laughs) word there. They at all costs that you're supposed to trust them when they have done nothing Mm -hmm. to earn the trust. Right. And so it is something that has to be worked at. Uh, And I know plenty of people, uh, some in leadership positions, some that are not, where this idea has come into play. Because we we have friends all over the country, actually all over the world, and and sometimes we talk about more workplace Mm -hmm. and employee relationships, things that we talk about here on Thoughts On. And sometimes they'll talk about the leaderships of their particular organization and like they expect blind trust when they've done nothing to earn that trust or to gain it. And even when they have done things uh, that organizational-wide, nobody really trusts them. They're like, well, you still have to trust me. Well, your words and your actions don't line up or things of that nature. So it does take some some hard work yeah. you know, to build trust. Do you have any ideas or suggestions right now? And this may be, come back to some of these. We may have to have a part three of <laughs> uh, how leaders can build trust Well, it's just exactly what you said. You do what you say, and you are mindful of that at all times. Instead of expecting people to know what you meant, you elaborate and you explain. Instead of expecting people to trust that you are going to do X, Y, or Z, you do X, Y, or Z so that people can give you the credit for it. Not a credit's the wrong word there, but you know we need to be people of our word so that people will know that. I, I don't. I, it feels like I'm chasing my tail on it, but it really is that one begets the other. When you do things that reflect I'm a trustworthy person, then trust will be a result of that. You have to be worthy of that trust. So you do things, small things, big things, where you do what you say you are going to do. You respond the way you say you're going to do. I also think uh, there's a word we use sometimes in the classroom, and that's fair. That if I make a policy for my students, for instance, that I hold everyone to that policy. And, And I don't mean that in a punitive way. I just mean in terms of people talk. And if we're finding out that uh, this particular person got something or got a break on something that no one else did, it does at least kind of erode that trust a little bit or put a little bit of a crack in that trust. And I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions, but when you've built trust, that will allow you to have some exceptions or to make exceptions when necessary. People would then recognize, oh, there must be a reason for them to have maybe not followed that policy to the letter. I wonder if there was an extenuating circumstance. But again, trust begets trust almost. <laughs> it does. And what was running through my mind as you were talking there are situations that I've been aware of, again, over our collective 50 years of work experience, where uh, leaders do treat people differently, but a lot of times leaders don't realize that those that they're leading or that work within their organization they talk to each other. Yeah. 
Yeah. Even when you say, well, don't tell anybody about this. They're talking <laughs> to people. So if it is a situation to where there's not this fairness or you've given somebody an advantage over somebody else, it's going to know and that could erode trust. But like you said, if there has been good trust built, sometimes you'll understand, oh, there's a valid reason. Yes. And just this past week, we were talking about some of our evaluations, our mm-hmm. student evaluations, mm-hmm. and one from a long time ago. I don't know who it was. I didn't really give it any credence. But somebody was saying, well, he plays favorites, and this person was able to turn in work late, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I I basically knew who it was. I couldn't tell you who it was now. Yeah. It's been so long ago. I thought, okay, one, you didn't ask mm-hmm. about that. And I have a policy of no late work, except in rare circumstances. And the reason that person was able to turn in work late, and it was really only like a day or two late, mm-hmm. was because of a death of a family right. member that nobody else in the class knew. Right. Uh, but you know, there was no talking among the individuals. Right. Somehow they just knew that I said, yeah, that's fine right. in that particular situation. But leaders do need to realize that those under them in that organization are going to talk to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're not consistent, that could cause some problems, which actually that's one later on in the list. So we'll skip that for okay. now. Uh, number two on this list is to be honest and supportive. Absolutely. And sometimes that's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's very difficult at times yeah. to tell the truth. It's very difficult for people to hear the truth mm-hmm. at times. And I find in my experience that a lot of times when people ask you questions or come to you for advice, they just want confirmation <laughs> of what they think or they want it their way. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily want to hear the truth yeah. with that. So how do you recommend that individuals, leaders trying to build trust in the workplace deal with that idea of being honest and supportive? Well, I apologize for saying it this way. This is this may come across as manipulative, but I I'm hoping you'll know what I mean. That maybe this is where you institute the sandwich policy. That it's a positive, negative, positive. So if you do have to have the hard conversation, that you recognize here are some really good things that I want to support you on. You are always coming in on time. You are uh, meeting the needs of the customer where they are. Um, But as we think through those things, we're going to need to uh, maybe make some adjustments in this way. Okay, so you've gotten out. Here's here's the bad news. Here's something that that I'm actually going to kind of criticize you for. I'm going to I'm going to need to share some bad news with you. But in the midst of it, I'm honest enough to say, but here's some other good things. Uh, This very recently, I was talking with a community leader who is they this particular person employs people and then they have a lot of volunteers and they evaluate both the employees and the volunteers. And she was sharing that it's really hard to evaluate volunteers because she said, there's no skin in the game for those people. They're doing good work. But if there's something that I need to say, hey, I need you to tighten up on this or maybe change the way you do that. She said, I always feel kind of bad about it because I'm not paying them. And so to tell them bad news feels feels really inappropriate, uh, difficult to say the least. And so I made the same suggestion this uh, with this particular conversation. Maybe try the sandwich technique. Try to do the positive, negative, positive so that you're not, it, again, it kind of feels manipulative, but you're couching it in, look, I see the good, but as we're taking an honest assessment and I'm sharing with you what I think is really positive, I need to also give you some honest feedback that maybe isn't quite as positive. 
I think some of that too is how you deliver it. And we've talked on some other thoughts on, and we'll have some future thoughts on that related to this idea of communication. Mm -hmm. What I have found is that a lot of individuals, not just leaders, but Mm -hmm. a lot of individuals think they communicate well, Mm -hmm. but they really don't. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They maybe know what they're trying to say, Mm -hmm. but the words they're using either verbally or in written form, don't translate mm-hmm. to that. And either it's not the right word choice or not understanding the audience. And or too long. Sometimes too long yeah. and the details get buried yes. in there. One of the things that's surprising to me about this list is it doesn't anywhere include communication, mm. although it's embodied in a lot of the things. Yeah. And if you were able to read the whole article, he does talk some about communication. Yeah in there about, you know, being honest and supportive, you have to understand your team. Yeah. Not only understand your team, you have to understand them as individuals Yes, and know how to communicate because there are some individuals that I would be straightforward, here are the facts and no flowery language yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. But as you mentioned, there are probably others that really need the sandwich technique yeah. or some other sort of finessing, I hate to use that word because <laughs> it sounds manipulative in this situation, yeah. but that's not it. It's learning how to communicate yeah. properly. And if you can do that to the individual, I think that helps build trust. Absolutely. Number three on this list is be quiet sometimes. And here is sort of the communication piece, right? I think so. That is part of it. Yeah. Uh, with that, one of the things in the past uh, month, I have listened to a book two and a half times. <laughs> that I have already listened to at least once, if not twice before. Okay. And we actually own. Okay. Uh, and it's by Robert M. Gates. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful book. Uh, I forget the title right <laughs> off. If you need the book title, send us a, uh, a, just contact us, direct message over Instagram at the Front Porch Sessions podcast, or if you know how else to get in touch with us, go ahead and uh, do that and we'll give you uh, the title of that book. But in that book, and he, I think, is quoting somebody else in that, but he says, when you are talking, you're not learning. And every time I listen to this book, the you know, in the past month, that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. When you're talking, you're not learning. And I find that a lot of leaders feel like to show their leadership ability <laughs> and that they're in charge, mm-hmm. and it may be more that second part, that they're in charge, Yeah, they talk too much. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to be quiet. Yeah. Uh, I know you've used this phrase, I think even on some of the other uh, thoughts on pregnant pause. Yes. And, you know, with my previous career and some of that, that's important. Mm-hmm. Even, even now as a professor, mm-hmm. sometimes you just shut up. And some people are uncomfortable in that. And I don't know really that's what it's talking about in this particular situation. But you do need to be quiet and listen. Mm -hmm. Listen to, you know, if there are people under your charge and they're coming to you with problems or suggestions. If you're talking the whole time, they can't, you can't understand what they're talking about. And I can recall a couple of times that I have set a meeting with somebody higher up from me, go in because there's a problem and need to talk about it. And we only had a short window of time because mm-hmm. of schedules. And I was not able to get out a question mm-hmm. or what the problem was. And at least one of those occasions, I had a potential solution, but because the individual talked so much mm-hmm. or they didn't listen well enough they answered a totally different question, 
tried to solve a totally different problem that yeah. one, I didn't ask that question. I didn't have that problem. Yeah. There's something significant about quiet that you're actually really good at that, you know, there's going to be a whole lot more communicated just by my, my being still listening, giving you that true opportunity, that space to speak. And I think you've had this experience. I know I have that if I sit there long enough, sometimes people actually work through their own question or issue Yes, as they're talking, because maybe they've not had space or safe space. Maybe I should say it that way to where they could talk through something in a constructive way that they, this is the first time they've gone, oh, I think I just answered my own question. I agree. There are times that we uh, think through things, and this is a huge problem, but then when we're actually able to verbalize it Mm -hmm. and hearing it out loud, it's like, oh. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that I suggest to all of my students that have to write any sort of paper Mm -hmm. is read it out loud. And sometimes I tell them, you're going to feel silly doing this. Read it in front of the mirror, but just read it out loud. And sometimes I won't offer feedback I would say, you need to read this out loud to yourself because you know what you intended to put, but that's not what you put in the paper. Yeah. Same type of thing. You're quiet. They're able to work through that. Uh, The intern forgot to take the battery (laughs) out of the clock. So we do apologize that. But uh, on a positive note, the intern just brought us uh, the book, Robert M. Gates, A Passion for Leadership, Lessons on Change and Reform from 50 Years of Public Service. I highly recommend the book. Yes. It is uh, very good. Talks about his life in uh, civil service as well as in the educational sector. Yeah, uh, but it's it's obviously really good. If I've listened to it like four times at yeah. least now, yeah, and we own the book to be able to do that. Uh, but also, I think with being quiet, you're able to hear what the other person is saying. Yeah, don't interrupt them unless there's a need. But mm-hmm. just because you have a thought, like oh, I got to get this out before they move on. If you're afraid you're going to forget it, write it down. Yeah. And then you can go back to that. People don't like being interrupted. I don't like being interrupted. I try not to interrupt people. I know sometimes I do, unless there's like a major situation. Like, I got to, you have to know this now. Yeah. Be quiet. But also, you have to listen actively. Yes. That was my next thought. Okay. Well, go ahead then. Well, I was just going to say, no, no, no. The whole idea of active listening is so important. If, If we are going to be mindful enough to shut our trap, we need to be mindful enough in what our body language is reflecting to the person who is actually sharing. If we are listening, but we're scrolling through our phone, if we're listening, but we're checking our email, if we're listening, but we're rifling through our purse, that does not communicate true listening. Now, I'm not talking about holding eye contact. I know that's uncomfortable for some of us, but what I am talking about is that you really give that space. Uh, I've started a practice in my office to where when somebody comes in to meet with me or talk with me, I have gotten to where I leave uh, almost like a legal pad, uh, like a portfolio kind of thing open, and I will physically close it. I'll let that student see me close it, and then I'll put it to the side. Now, was I working in that portfolio? Maybe not, but I intentionally close it so they get almost a cue uh, that says, oh, she is here in the moment with me. Now, again, that really kind of, as I say it, it sounds manipulative, and I don't mean it that way. It's a Jedi mind trick. It, It is. But you're trying to show whatever you're having to say to me, I find valuable, it's yeah. important, you're important, we're going to deal with that at yeah. this time. I've had a number of students come to my office to talk about different things over the years, and it's become worse that they come in and they're on their phone the whole time. Oh, yeah. So I just call them on it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, is is that more important yeah. than what you came in here to do? Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, it's, you know, whatever. And I'm sorry. And then they'll put it away. But when they pull it back out, I have times that said, why don't you come see me yeah. when you're not so busy and distracted? Because we're not going to be able to solve your problems. Now, there are also times where people are talking to me that I'm looking up stuff. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit different because, okay, I'm listening to you. And I'm not trying to say, oh, I'm okay. I'm allowed to do that. But sometimes they're asking me questions and I need to, I'm able to look yeah, at the answer. It's a different That's thing. not what we're talking no. about. No. But here, I think, you know, be quiet, actively listen. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that I've tried to do more and more over the past year or two is when somebody has come to me with an issue is to paraphrase it back to them. Yeah. Okay. So this is the problem or what I hear you this saying. is what I hear <laughs> yeah. you saying yeah. type thing to make sure that I didn't run it through my filters and yes. it didn't get lost in translation. Yes. Or sometimes what I even have found is they explained it one way and that's not how they meant to explain it. Oh. So it helps get everybody on the same page. Yeah. That's a good thought. But, and I, I don't like to say it this way often, but sometimes I think you have to know when to shut up. Yeah. Yeah, there is a value. And actually, I feel like that's almost like a lost art now that we are such a busy world that's looking for instant response that we are crafting our response the whole time. And I know we've talked about that on Thoughts On, the whole idea of you're so busy. Okay, I'm being quiet, but I'm thinking about how I'm going to respond to where you're missing 50 or more percent of what's actually being said because I've already got my comeback ready. Well, that's ridiculous. Maybe there is is something important, but that's why you said make a note so you can come back to it later. But otherwise, truly be in the moment. Be quiet and listen. Too many times we listen to respond, mm-hmm. not to understand. Yeah. And confessional time. Okay. There are a number of times uh, as we're recording this podcast, I'm listening to respond. <laughs> Because we don't sit down with a, a script. No. We don't sit down with a lot of notes. Uh, sometimes I do jot things down with that. Uh, and yeah, I just need to just <laughs> feel better Is it saying weird? that. As we talk through this, I'm thinking, oh, this is this really is like marriage therapy. Like some of these things. <laughs> sometimes it, it is. It makes a lot of sense that these would be in your one-on-one relationships as well. Yes. And that's one of the things we talked about in part one of the trust mm-hmm. uh, issues here. Trust issues. That's not the right <laughs> word. Episode. Oh, boy. We do need that <laughs> marriage trust, counseling, the, huh? <laughs> the trust episode. The first trust episode. That's what I meant to say. Mm. Is that this isn't just for business relationships or workplace things. Yeah. A lot of this applies to your everyday relationships. Yeah. So I know, hopefully you have noticed some over the past year or so, sometimes you'll tell me something and I'll say, this is what I hear you saying. Mm -hmm. And there are times you're like, that's not what I said at all. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, let's try again. And then there are other times that are like, yes. Yeah. And and you work through it, but it is important to understand when to be quiet so you know what questions to ask, so you actually know what the issue is. Yeah. Uh, And I think that helps with the number two here about being honest and supportive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Number four on this list, which we almost hinted at Mm -hmm. already, is be consistent. Absolutely. Consistently doing what you say you'll do builds trust over time. Yes. Being consistent is not something you can do only occasionally. Right. And I think we talked briefly... And it may have been a regular episode, and we want to come back and talk about it on a thought zone. Uh, we'll do that sometime this summer. We need to review the book. But James Clear has a book called Atomic Habits, yeah. which you mentioned once as one of your uh, What's New With You. Mm-hmm. And in there, he talks about consistency. Yeah, Habits have to be consistent. 
And I think I heard him on a podcast when he said, you know, when it quits becoming a habit, when you stop doing it. <laughs> yes. You know, when you're not consistent with that, uh, it is something that you have to do. Now, we understand, I understand, ho- and hopefully you understand, uh, the listeners understand, you're going to try to be consistent. There's, It's impossible for you to be consistent 100% of the time. That's just human nature. Mm. But as much as possible, be consistent in what you say and what you do. Yeah. I think that <clears throat> consistency is something that, again, we maybe societally really struggle with because we have so many different personas. And I, I'm not referring to being fake, but we've got our online persona, we've got our work persona, we've got our house persona, and we've got our church persona. And I think that those are things that feel inconsistent, but character should always be consistent. And if you are living a life that is worthy of people trusting in you, that is something to strive for, that I am always living a life that's worthy of you trusting me. I think one of the highest compliments I've ever been paid was by somebody that basically said, you're the same person outside of work as you are at work. That is really nice. I'm like, well, yeah. Now there, (laughs) there are some differences, you know, I'm a little more relaxed outside and, you yes. know, but the, you know, are they're shocked to find out that I have certain hobbies or, you know, do certain things with well, that. Not like bad things. A lot of times they're shy. Like you used to play in rock bands. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Cause they don't expect that. Yeah. But as far as the character, it's like, you're consistent. Yeah. And you know, I'm like, good. That's what I want. I want to be the same person, no matter where I am, the way it's manifested might be slightly different. Yeah. Uh, what is appropriate, but you have to be consistent. Absolutely. And consistent is not always the same. Okay, explain that. that. Because as we hinted at, hinted at earlier, sometimes there are exceptions to the rules. Okay. So let's just say I'm in a leadership position and I have four employees and three of them I do one thing with and the fourth mm-hmm. one I, I say something different to or I let them do something different. It's going to be because the circumstances warrant that. Mm. Just like... Yes, your student, you had a, a death of a close family member. You can turn your work in a little late. Mm-hmm. The others, no, you don't have an excuse with yeah. that. But the policy is still consistent, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, it's a little, I almost regret saying that to begin with because you called me on it, <laughs> about how consistent is not always the same. Oh, Because I I don't know how to explain it concisely. I understand it. I think there is a bigger picture there as you talk about your student that you're giving the extra time to. Sometimes the consistency is that you're holding them to a particular standard. So for instance, in this situation, you show compassion and you say, I am so sorry for your loss. Uh, Let's set up that you're going to make all this work up within a week if that makes sense. So, so that you're still consistent, but maybe it looks different. Yes. As you said that I, I'm still holding them to a standard, Yes, but it's manifesting itself in a slightly different way, contingent on the circumstances yes. in that. Yeah. And again, you're right. That does sort of come across as we're being wishy-washy, but we're not, that's character. And, and frankly, sometimes character means you're showing compassion in difficult times and you're still working through, okay, what does my character allow this circumstance to dictate? What, what exception or what, um, alteration can I make that, that really does uphold my my policy with some compassion. <laughs> right. And I think one of the ways that we see it, having been professors for quite a while now, is we know other professors that they state they have a policy. Mm-hmm. 
and maybe it's just a late work policy, mm-hmm. but they don't follow it. They're not consistent. Yeah. And then when they try to enforce it, yeah, it backfires on yes. them. And I yes. think that's where the consistency is because even in my syllabi, it states I don't accept late work except mm-hmm. in rare circumstances. So I give that. There are some uh, exceptions occasionally yeah. with that. And I think that's what it means here, holding to that standard. And what that standard actually is, again, may be contingent on the actual situation. Yeah, it gives you a loophole to exercise your judgment. <laughs> a loophole. Well, you know, I think that that's... That sometimes we you do get those emails where a student will ask to turn something in late because, oh, they forgot or they overslept or whatever. You have the prerogative based on your syllabi to say yes or no. But because of your character, your consistent character is... No, that doesn't really meet the the appropriate. That wasn't class. outside your control. Yeah, you could have controlled yeah. that situation. So, and also, I think this whole discussion here with being consistent uh, demonstrates sometimes the difficulty in communication to be clear and concise, mm. particularly as we sit down and start talking yeah. about these things. And sometimes we're workshopping it. I know you love it when I use that word. We're working through it together yeah. here on the air. Yeah. we've yeah. You and I have had the conversation. You're really good with your words in terms of you can say something much more succinctly than I can. And it really shows in my course guides. So at the beginning of the semester, we hand out these, uh, essentially, here's all my policies. And I find that over time, mine get longer and longer. And I don't mean for it to be that way. But as Billy tries to get away with X, my thought is I better write a policy about right. that. Which and is common, I think. It, it is. And and sometimes I worry about it. It's, it's over cumbersome. But I also recognize for me, it, it's important to show that I can be consistent, that I can be trustworthy because here are my policies. I'm going to follow them. And there's no if ands, or buts about it. So uh, you found a way to say, I don't take leg work except for in extreme circumstances where I feel like I've got to write three different lines of prose to explain the very same idea. <laughs> well, sometimes being succinct like that keeps you from getting trapped in a box. Yes. But uh, we've also paid good money for me to learn how to uh, be uh, concise and to choose the right word that has a specific meaning with that. But I'm also not the person who minds being put in a box and those sort of things because then I've got a policy and, well, this is what my policy says. I'm going to follow it, and then if I need to change it the next semester or next year, then I will. Okay. It doesn't really bother me because I really like rules. We're diverging a little bit from our topic, but... That's what we do here on the Front Porch Sessions podcast (laughs) sometimes is, well, what if it's something that you didn't put in there Mm. and then you get stuck? Right. And then that's where you go and you make a new policy the next time to where I'd rather leave it. Let's be concise. Use as few words as possible. And I put in all the possible exceptions because I can't cover them all. Yeah. But again, it comes down to being consistent with those situations. Number five here on David Grossman's list of six ways that leaders at all levels can build trust in the workplace by aligning actions with words is often difficult. Mm. Number five here, model the behavior you seek. Yeah. Nothing speaks more loudly about the culture of an organization than the leader's behavior, which influences employee action 
and has the potential to drive their results. Yeah, we often talk about leadership is top down and and there is definitely space for it to be bottom up or or however you want to look at it. But what we're talking about in this particular situation is leaders drive culture. And if your culture is going to be fine be defined by trustworthiness, then that has to come from the top. Your leadership has to demonstrate that they are trustworthy, that they are mindful of always communicating in a truthful manner so that it becomes the standard for the organization. Yeah, people mimic what they see. Yep. And as a leader, if you let if you act a certain way, you should expect those under you to act that certain way as Absolutely. well because that's what they've learned as being acceptable even if you don't think it is mm-hmm. well no that's what you've been doing so we're just doing the same thing i've been employed at different places where that kind of was the leader acted one way but oh no you can't act that way wait a minute we're learning it from you yeah we thought that's what we're supposed to do mm-hmm. easy example here which grossman does uh, mention here if you're saying that teamwork is important to your organization you better make it a team situation you know you have to collaborate with other individuals or other uh, groups within your organization you can't say oh our company is all about teamwork and then it's siloed yeah and you try to do everything you have to learn to delegate some things you have to bring in different groups of that team to make it actually this idea of teamwork Mm -hmm. work yeah i think there's so many different ways that we can communicate this and a big one that does uh kind of align with this whole conversation about trust is gossip. If you are a leader who is prone to gossip, if you're one to share details of a conversation or a meeting or even a, a, a touchy situation, then your the people that work with you, your team, they're going to do the same thing. And guess what? It's probably going to end up biting you, the leader, at some point. For you and those that are listening, just think, have there ever been a time that you're in a meeting with uh, a leader within whatever organization, employer, whatever situation, and you have a, let's say, a 30-minute meeting, Mm -hmm. and they spend the first 15, 20 minutes gossiping right. about everybody else and they're like okay what did you need to talk to me about I'm like well i don't want to talk to For you about real. this employee issue or sensitive things yes. because who are you going to tell at your next meeting absolutely with this? so that's a great example too yeah. if you don't want your team to be gossiping you don't need to be gossiping yeah. uh, there's this idea particularly like in interviewing uh for like criminal uh, investigation interviewing the, uh, and, and even a little bit with interrogation, you build rapport first. Yes. It's more important with interviewing, put people at ease. So in a meeting situation, you there should be some rapport building, put everybody at ease when it's possible. Sometimes it's like, I got five minutes, we got to get to the point. <laughs> but, you know, asking questions, talking about things that have nothing to do, just kind of ease everybody. But if that rapport building is hey, did you hear about right. what so-and-so was doing? Right. I almost made up a name, but I was thinking, then my mind was running like, do we work with somebody with that name? Or <laughs> I don't want them to think I'm talking sure. about them. Sure. But if you're that, and then like, okay, what did you need? <laughs> That's 
I, I don't want to tell you now because no. what are you going to say about me to the next person that comes in here? Right. Well, in the same same way with complaining. If you start a meeting by complaining about the other leaders you're serving with or somebody from another department or something like that, that is modeling behavior whether you want it to be or not. And when you run a negative uh, organization or a negative meeting, uh, more specifically on a micro level, then you're going to get negative feedback. You're going to get negative employees. And and honestly, that's a hard one for me. And I don't mean to say that I'm naturally negative, but I do feed off of other people's energy. And if you know, the person that called the meeting or even just the strong personality in the meeting, because it you don't have to be the leader of the meeting to have that other, Absolutely. yeah, that wild card in the corner that's somehow driving the personality of the meeting. Same thing works with complaining. If you've got that person in there that they are complaining, they're modeling that behavior so other people think, oh, is this the, is this the time for us to gripe? Well, I've got a couple of gripes too. And, and that's just probably not going to be helpful in the long run. Right. I've had the opportunity in my professional career to lead many meetings. Mm-hmm. And I try, I try not to complain about things. And that, you know, sometimes things could come across as complaining because you're having to state the facts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes facts are negative. These are issues. Uh, so I do try to go in there very prescriptive of these are the things we need to discuss. But there have been individuals in the room that have louder voices that took o- tried to take over. And they were complaining about things mm-hmm. that were not particularly on our agenda or not really related to what we were talking about that day. And then other people think, oh, this is a gripe session to mm-hmm. jump in. And I do my best to shut that down. Yeah. And I've made people very mad yeah. because I'm like, we're not, I'm not listening to your complaints right now. That's yeah. not the purpose or that's irrelevant to our discussion. Yeah. And then they sit there and pout. But now <laughs> a lot of the other people that were not naturally inclined to jump on the gripe session, yep. calm down Yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh, so you do have to model that behavior. It's not just about teamwork. It's just not about complaining mm-hmm. and complaining here is to complain. Is what I think we're meaning. Yes. Because sometimes yes, yes, yes. I think people are like, oh, you're complaining when you're stating a fact about right. something and it's negative. If right. we have a problem within our organization, if we have a problem within the Front Porch Sessions podcast mm-hmm. incorporated mm-hmm. and we and it's a negative, we have to state that. Yeah. And you may look at it, well, why are you complaining about that? <laughs> well, that's not the same. And yeah. I, I think it's difficult for us and getting off topic here. <laughs> To, to do that, you have to recognize that sometimes what somebody interprets as complaining is not because yeah. you're stating a fact that we need to deal with an issue. Yeah. Um, hopefully our listeners understand where, <laughs> what we mean with that. Yeah. Culture is going to have to be set. And if we're modeling negative behavior, then we maybe have just set the culture to be negative. And what would be interesting is how many leaders don't set a good culture? How many mm. leaders, or let's not say leaders, people are in, people in leadership positions okay. don't actually model the behavior that they seek? Yeah. I think it's probably more than yeah. we realize with yeah. that. Uh, if you have a larger organization and it has a chain of command and you expect people underneath you to follow that chain of command before it comes to your desk... You need to follow that chain of command back down. You don't need to circumvent, you know, three or four other people 
because exactly. you know because then nobody knows what to do exactly with that. exactly because everyone's going to model they're going to follow your model if you're breaking that chain of command you can't be mad when the person that's three rungs underneath you then comes right to you when they have a problem because well that's exactly what you did to them right and you can't be mad when they go through the chain of command yeah. and you're like well why didn't you just come to me yeah well which is it right we're confused right. with that there's a lot of uh talk Right now, I know there's a number of books. I see a number of things on social media about building positive cultures, Uh particularly within organizations. And uh, there's some disagreement out there about is it top down or bottom up. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit of both. Absolutely. I I believe uh, that the leader sets the tone for the organization. Yes. And that's, that's what needs to be done. Yes with that. All right. Number six here on our list from David uh, Grossman is build in accountability. Yes. When you and other leaders acknowledge your mistakes as well as successes, employees see you as credible and will follow your lead. Yes. I've over the past ever how many years, let's go 25, 30 years. Okay. I have seen a lot of leaders in different organizations both like civic organizations, professional organizations. We're probably seeing some of this now that it's an election season around Mm -hmm. the country that leaders can do no wrong in their (laughs) mind. They will not acknowledge when they messed up. Yeah. And if you don't acknowledge when you've made a mistake, those that are under your leadership, they're not going to acknowledge when they make a mistake. 100%. And you can't hold them accountable for their mistakes if you're not willing to admit your own and say, yes, I messed up here. We have to fix this. I'm going to help fix this. You have to own it. Yeah, I think there's something really valuable. And this is something, again, I, I'm trying to work through with my kids. I, I'm not a perfect person. And guess what? That translates into my parenting. And so I try, I try, I try. It's so hard with kids to admit when I've done something wrong. Uh, there's this quote that I wanted to share because I thought you might really enjoy this. It's from Frank Sonnenberg. He says, trust is like blood pressure. It's silent, vital to good health. And if abused, it can be deadly. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I liked it. The whole idea about blood pressure, silent, good health, abused, deadly. Yeah, all that stuff, it really resonates with me. The idea that if we are not keeping in mind that we sometimes need to be held accountable and told, you you really kind of messed up here. We, we need to be willing to accept that and give it at the very same time. I know leaders that have never made a mistake in their life. What? Yep, that's what they've told me. Is that what Jesus said? <laughs> no, but that's how they <laughs> portray themselves. Yeah. And no, it's even when it's very obvious that they're the ones that made the mistake, mm. they're passing the blame onto other people. Yeah. Or some other type of technical error. I'm not discounting sometimes technical errors happen. Sure, but sure, sure. Really? You have 15 of those in the past week? <laughs> There's no quicker way for me to tune you out than for you to tell me how perfect or wonderful you are. Right. Yeah, those are things that I'm thinking I will, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> well, and I'm not sure that many people want to admit that they've made mistakes. Sure. Here no, and no, there. no. Uh, but that is going to go a long way to building trust. Absolutely. Uh, with that, there have been several times since you've already mentioned this that I've had to go back to the kids and say, I misunderstood or... Mm. 
I, I made a mistake. You know, I apologize for that. Mm-hmm. Let's fix the situation. Uh, we, if we can do that at home, we oh, can yeah. do it in the workplace. Yeah. And what I find when people in, in the workplace particularly admit their mistakes, that helps build trust. 100%. Because you're taking ownership of that. Yes. And I am not an expert by any uh, means you know, on institutional trust. Mm-hmm. But I do like that quote that you just read. I'm going to ask you to read it again in just a second here. But is there this idea that organizations or institutions that have strong trust, it's not really talked about, that you don't know? Mm. And the organizations or institutions that aren't very trustworthy or they don't have a strong trust, top, bottom, bottom, top, Mm. that everybody knows it? Mm. I'm sure. Because, I mean, when it's not there, everybody's talking about it. Mm. And I don't know if if it is really there. Do you talk about it? Good good question. I don't know, but maybe we should. Maybe we should talk more. Use that language. Okay, I thought you meant maybe we should research it and conduct studies. No, No, I just mean we're really bad about picking up on the bad. Oh, we do a bad job at this and we we don't do these things. But we should own when we are working for a trustworthy organization, that we are working in a culture of trust. I think those are really wonderful things that... I would almost imagine there's so many studies about this coming generation that's getting out of college now that they're looking for different things than you or I did or our parents did when they were going into the workforce. I would think that kind of language would be very appealing, that they're looking for someplace that they can trust and believe and know that there's going to be some sense of equality and support. And yeah, I would think that would be really appealing. And I know in my professional lifetime that there have been a couple of times to where decisions were made from a higher level and somebody else was questioning it or complaining about it and trying to, you know, maybe rile me up or get mm-hmm. me in with their <laughs> negative things. And I can go negative very quickly as well. Um, but there's been a couple of times I can recall, I can't give you any specifics, to where I said, I'm not worried about it. Mm-hmm. I trust that they made the right decision that is best for our organization. What a compliment. But I don't know that that or, uh, is talked about organizationally wide. <laughs> you want to try that again? I wasn't sure if I was going to use institutional oh, or okay. organization, I but I don't think it's organization wide Yeah. with that. It's just like, oh, this decision was made. Yeah, you can be mad about it. What's the point? Right. I trust that they made the best decision with the information they had. Yeah. And it's probably only been a handful of times that that has happened. But what I hear from more people is Mm -hmm. when there's not trust within whatever type of organization they are in, whether it's a civic group, it's a community, you know, it's the baseball league within Mm -hmm. the city league or whatever, or an employee. Yeah, I definitely see some of that in my local government work, that there are so many moving parts and there are all these different cogs that are trying to work in symphony or in complement of one another. And when you get to where you have built a team, you have put people in place of leadership to guide the rest of the people in the organization, and then you don't trust the people that you put into leadership, it becomes problematic. And so there needs to be some sort of effort to work 
within that accountability model that I am trusting you to do the job you were hired to do, but we're going to have constant communication about uh, you're doing this great and let's work on these things and we'll come back and talk about that in two weeks and do a check-in or something. That accountability piece and then actually doing it, like actually coming back in two weeks right, and talking that's about important. it again. Again, if you say you're going to do it, yes, do it. Yes, those are really important aspects of building trust and then creating a very positive culture within your organization. Well, and there have been a couple of times Times uh, with some different, I would just say positions, not all of them have been professional, that I have left a particular position because there wasn't necessarily that trust. Yeah. Okay, you trusted me enough and you thought I was qualified enough and I had the ability to do this, mm-hmm. but then you didn't let me do it. Yeah. So I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting your time. Yeah. Uh, if I'm getting paid for it, you're wasting money mm-hmm. with that. So... Why are, why are we doing this yeah, with that? Yeah. Can you hit us with that quote one more time? Seems like a great place to close with, right? Almost. Trust is like blood pressure. It's silent, vital to health, and if abused, it can be deadly. That, that's very good. Is there anything that you would add off the top of your head to these six things? Not off the top of my head, okay. no. I like I love bullet points, and I really like they this list. They are concise. We could probably think, sit here and think of things all day long. But once again, this list of uh, six ways that leaders at all levels can build trust in the workplace by aligning actions with words. Number one, recognize that building trust takes hard work. Number two, be honest and supportive. Number three, be quiet sometimes. Number four, be consistent. Number five, model the behavior that you seek. Number six, Build in accountability. Those are wonderful, uh, wonderful points. And if nothing else, it's a great starting place. Yeah. There may be some other things, as we already mentioned, embodied within most of these is mm-hmm. good communication. Mm-hmm. And we would like to know what are some ways that you, if you're a leader or not, that you build trust in people? Are mm-hmm. there things that you would add to this particular list? Uh, particularly the positive stories that you've seen mm-hmm. uh, with that. We would uh, appreciate if you shared those with us. Why don't you tell the listeners how they can easily do that? Probably the best way, the easiest way, the most consistent way is going to be through Instagram. We are the Front Porch Sessions podcast on Instagram. There you can uh, direct message with us. That comes to both of us just in case you needed to know who was going to receive those messages. Again, that is the Front Porch Sessions podcast on Instagram. Yes, and if you have additional thoughts on trust and how to build it within uh, different types of organizations, because we know we have a a vast array of listeners that are involved in all kinds of professions and volunteer organizations. We would love to hear those. They may appear and help influence future uh, thoughts on episodes. But until that time, I've been Billy. And I've been Christy. Thanks for listening, y'all.